us lived up to our potential and managed our resources so well that we could provide for ourselves, our families, and our communities in a meaningful and substantial way. Join Step Right with Lynn, the show dedicated to empowering socially conscious individuals to manage their financial resources for the benefit of themselves, their families, and the greater community. Here's Lynn Wedham, Certified Financial Planner and Managing Partner at StepRight Capital Planning. Welcome to StepRight with Lynn. It's great to have you join us this morning. I'd like to talk to you about an opportunity that over 125 million Americans and Canadians over the age of 18 are not taking advantage of. And that's the opportunity to make a will and decide now, while they're alive, how their estate will be distributed. Yes, over 125 million American and Canadians do not have a will. Many people believe that their possessions will simply go to their family and they're not aware of the rules of dying at intestate or without a will. Let's think of making a will as an opportunity to think about your values and your desires for your property, as well as a time to share your values and desires with those you love. You have something valuable to leave with those you love, even if it's not money, and I encourage you to talk about it. It's always best to have a plan. Many are not aware that by a repositioning of their assets, they can leave something of significance to a favorite charity or increase what's available to their families. I'd like to chat with you about ways to position your estate to create the legacy for which you will be remembered. I offer a half-hour totally confidential consultation at no cost and no obligation. Send me an email at lynn at stepright.ca and we'll set up a time to chat. That's Lynn, L-Y-N-N, at StepRight, S-T-E-P-R-I-G-H-T dot C-A. My guest today is Marion Good from the Mennonite Economic Development Associates, or MEDA for short. MEDA is an international economic development organization whose mission is to create business solutions to poverty. Founded in 1953 by a group of Mennonite business professionals, they partner with the poor to start or grow small and medium-sized businesses in developing regions around the world. Their expertise includes a full range of economic development tools, financial services, improved technology, business training, better access to markets, and equity investment. Their work most often focuses on women, youth, and the rural poor. They believe that all people deserve the opportunity to earn a livelihood and that unleashing entrepreneurship is a powerful way to alleviate poverty. Marion Good is currently the Regional Director, Resource Development at MEDA. Prior to taking this position three and a half years ago, she was a branch manager at the Mennonite Savings and Credit Union for 15 years. Marion currently serves on the board of Fairview Mennonite Homes and has served on a number of boards and committees, including seven years on MEDA's International Board of Directors, the Board of Family and Children's Services of Waterloo Region, the Startup Board of the Wellesley Community Health Center, the Executive Committee of the Wellesley Board of Trade, and is now back on the MEDA Waterloo Chapter Board after serving a previous nine-year term. 
Marion has three married children and nine wonderful grandchildren. She's an accomplished oil and watercolor artist and loves to travel. She lives in Wellesley and attends Herb Street Mennonite Church. Welcome to Step Right with Lynn, Marion. Thank you. That was a great introduction, Lynn. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, we're glad to have you here, and we want to learn more about Mita. It's been around for 60 years. How did it get started? Well, it really got started um, when there was a group of Mennonite businessmen in North America, some in Canada, some in the United States, that heard about some uh, refugee uh, farmers in Paraguay who had fled Ukraine and Russia, and they were trying to farm, but they were really struggling, and they needed help. And these Mennonite businessmen kind of got their heads together and decided that, you know what, just giving them a handout and a gift of money isn't the long-term solution. So they each put some money into a pot and or into a into a, a collection of money, and they gave them a loan. And they also, I think, went down and you know did some hands-on work, and they helped them to build a dairy so that they would have a market for their milk and also be able to produce other um other milk products and over the next and that was that worked it saved their farms it saved their um their their small agricultural businesses and over the next 20 years that loan was paid back and that was the first loan that um that Mita had provided and it was uh, it was something that the, these men and then the followers and other people felt this is the solution. A business model is the sustainable solution to poverty, not the handouts. So from there, um, those you know that that was how, that's how it got started, and we just have continued to do that type of work ever since. Mm-hmm. That's a terrific success story. Actually, just a, one more one more add-on to that was that dairy was in operation from 1953 to the year 2000, but it spun off other dairies, and mm-hmm. and because of that, it they now produce about 80% of the dairy products in Paraguay. So wow. it it was a real success story. Yeah, that's terrific. So, yeah. So, Marion, what's your background? How long have you been associated with Mita? Well, I have been associated for quite a long time, as you mentioned in my bio, before I came on staff here three and a half years ago. I was on the International Board of Directors. But before that, I was also involved locally. Like, we have chapters, of quite a number of chapters across North America where um, Mita supporters get together and network and hear updates and um, and have events that that sort of introduce people to Mita. I was involved in that probably for the last I've been involved for probably the last um, 18 years maybe altogether. And um, <clears throat> it's just something that I have been very passionate about, and I think. Um, for me, I've been a single mother for, for a long time since my kids were preschoolers. And when I found out what Mita was doing, and especially the work with women, we don't just work with women, but the work with women and how they were able to help them and empower them and give them opportunity and hope, and that just that just hooked me right in my heart. You know what? I tell them I'm a lifer. I'm just really passionate about what they do and what we do here now because I'm on staff because it makes such a difference in people's lives. Oh, that's wonderful. So what happens in an impoverished community when when you come in and, and you bring this expertise 
um, to support their industry. How is the community impacted at that time? Well, there, there's a lot of background work that has to be done in order for us to understand what the needs are in an, in an area, a community in an area. And uh, so there's a lot of research that's done to, to understand that because we certainly work with um, within the cultural norm of, of the, you know, wherever we're working. We want to make sure that we've got, um, you know, everything is not, that we're not going in and working in conflict with any of their cultures or their, um, their systems. So we make sure if we're working with women that, that the men, the men's council or whoever are on board with it, that they support it. Um, so, um, we, we go in then and see what, what do we have? What can we offer them? What are the gaps in what they're doing? So we don't really, you know, we don't really bring in something new. We work with what they're doing but then trying to see where are the gaps is it if it's in farming are they have do they have good understanding of how to do good farming methods do they have access to good seeds and fertilizer do they have access to markets are they able to work together to um, make use of the economies of scale um, and so those are the types of things that we try to help and and just to to fill in those gaps and then in the end, so that they can have either uh, a greater income or they have more production, which, which leads to greater income, better markets. Um, and so whether it's farming or whether it's um, um, small and medium-sized businesses, sometimes they need access to credit, which is loans and savings. Um, sometimes it's um, other types of businesses that, that we're able to help with um, and, and make a difference for them. Great. And and so you choose an area and then you do research as to what they need. Uh, how, do, how do you come about choosing where you're going to work? Well, there's, there's some different ways that we um, get our, our projects. Um, one of them is, is sometimes if we know of, a, of an area or a country that's in need, um, we will actually um, put together um, – a bit of a concept and maybe take it to one of our institutional lenders. So I, I should probably explain a little bit that now we don't fund fully all our projects ourselves. So we get a contract with an institutional funder, which could be, um, it could be the Canadian government, which is the Department of Foreign Affairs, Trade and Development. It could be the U.S. government. We have a big project right now in Yemen with the European Commission. We work with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, other foundations. DFID is a is a in the U.K. Um, we work with a Swiss um, funder as well, who provide um, the big sort of the big dollars. We put money on the table. So, for instance. Um, and we'll be talking more about Ghana, but I just visited there. That's a $20 million project over six years. MEDA wow. is raising $2 million, but that is um, multiplied by the $18 million that the Canadian government is putting in. Um, so that's how we get our, our funding. So when we're looking at a project, we, we need to know that there's a funder that is interested in supporting the work that we're going to do. So sometimes we find a need and we look, okay, does this fit meet its focus that it has to work in the business model? 
does it uh, does it fit our you know within we call them products or some line some type of work that we do whether it's in agriculture sometimes it's in the business of health or if it's working with youth or rural uh, clients those are the types of things we want it to to work to work with and then we'll put together a concept paper and put it to the funder if they think this is, yeah we're interested in this we would have money for this area of the world or this country and then we go and do a lot more work and put together a proposal sometimes the funders um, do more of a bidding process so they have the, the project sort of all mapped out and what they want to get out of it and then they'll put it out for for NGOs who are non-government agencies like like us or in development and they put it out and then you 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 bid on it actually you say we will do this and this is what it's going to cost and this is the outcome we're going to we're going to see out of this and then sometimes you're awarded that or sometimes you're not mm, okay um that might be a good spot for us to to take a break, um, and then we'll we'll come back and and learn more about these projects. Okay, sounds good. Is there a contribution that you dream of making in society? Planned giving seems to be presented as something you do once you're incredibly wealthy or planning your estate. Step Right with Lynn focuses on good money management and planning your contribution at every step based on the issues important to you. Learn how to expand the goodness around you and take responsibility for the issues important to you. Tune in for Step Right with Lynn every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Central Time, 7 a.m. Mountain Time, and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on A to Zen.fm. Step Right with Lynn. Lynn Wedham is a certified financial planner. To participate in the program today, please call toll-free in the U.S. 815-880-8255. That's 815-880-TALK. Or in Canada, 613-800-8736. Or you can Skype us at atozen.fm. You can also make the choices to ask or comment by email by sending to lynn at stepright.ca. Now, back to the program. Today we're talking about creating business solutions to poverty, and my guest is Marion Good from the Mennonite Economic Development Associates. Um, Marion, uh, I'd be interested in knowing the size of some of these projects. You've talked about a $20 million project, and you know one thing that's interesting about that is I don't know if a lot of Canadians are aware of uh, of that kind of work being done and so I think that's very interesting as well now what would be some of the smaller um, things that that might you might be involved in okay um, when we talk about the smaller projects I guess my mind goes to some of the pilot projects that we've that we do or have done and and sometimes we we have an idea and so we'll we'll try it out in a small area or community as a pilot and then if it works then we can take that um that idea and that system to to one of our our larger funders and and sort of ramp it up into a bigger full blown project um one that we did was in Haiti uh we worked with we called it urban gardens 
and we worked with uh, with women in the city or, or people in the city that, that could just use a little bit of, of a plot that they had around their houses and maybe hanging hanging baskets and, and that type of thing, but helping them to grow vegetables that would be very nourishing and help supplement their diets. So that was that project was a little less than a hundred thousand of, of meat we call them meat a bucks or meat a dollars. Mm-hmm. And and then another one we have currently is in Ghana and it's a collection of, of and storage of rainwater. And this pilot project is funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for a hundred thousand and Mead is putting thirty thousand in. And again, it's just a pilot finding a way that would work. And so we're doing some experimenting and working with some companies there that can come up with some ideas and, and then we would like to ramp that up into a larger a larger project so that there would be access to, to this type of um rainwater collection and storage for the irrigation. So those are kind of some of the smaller ones that we have, um, and and then um, and then like like I said, we like to ramp them up into a larger one because we like to, you know, we like to make a difference in a lot of lives, a lot of families, and a lot of communities. So we don't just, you know, we don't just work really in one small village. We'll work in a whole region. Okay, and I would think that once once you get started in a community, you get attached to it as well and and want to make more of an impact around them as well. That's right. That's right. And what happens sometimes, too, is that um, that, that some will, you know, nearby will see, well, I'm thinking about some of our projects, one in in Afghanistan and and also Pakistan, and working with some of the village women or or in their... um, some that were homebound and working within their their uh, culture, uh, and then some of the, the 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 business or the men, the business council didn't approve of us working in certain villages. But when they saw the difference it made for some of the other villages and the other women, then they welcomed us to come. So mm. we really want to, you know, we work within that culture, but we want to reach as many as we possibly can. So um, I did talk about the project in Ghana at 20 million. We are just uh, ending a project in Pakistan, which was 30 million with the U.S. government, USAID. Um, and in Ghana, 20 million one, we're we're um, targeting to reach 20,000 women and their families, and uh, over the six years. So um, 20,000 women is a lot. So it's going to be a lot of families and a lot of communities that are going to benefit from that. We also have uh, a current one that we're just uh, phase two. We're working now in Ukraine, just getting phase two started, and that's a thirty million dollar project as well. And that's working with men and women farmers there. So we do have some large projects. Okay, so when you you come in and you're um, you you create employment for some people, you put some dollars in their hands. Um, what's the you know the impact to the to the community when when you have you know when that person has money to spend they can they're they're going to support someone else in their community and um i'm sure you you see a lot of sort of spin off things happening because um because the community is becoming stronger economically right i'm just going to just um mention your terminology that we put money in people's hands. We don't put any money in anybody's hands. Um, it all has to be their own 
um, their own endeavor, their own income. So we're mm-hmm. just helping them. We give them the training. Um, we help work with microfinance institutions maybe in, in their area along with the project that they can have access to a small loan. We try to bridge that to make sure that the loan products or the saving products that the microfinance institution is offering is going to work for for these rural poor. So sometimes it's mm-hmm. using cell phones. Sometimes it's just using um, setting up a loan and a repayment system that's going to work with the with the um, farmer and when he's able to take off his crop. Um, and, and just helping them to get better markets. So we don't put any money in their hand. But some of this, when when you see these people's income improve, um, they can they can now feed their children three meals a day. And, mm-hmm. and many times they aren't able to do that, especially at certain times of the year. So as their diets improve and getting more balanced diet and better nutrition, the health of the family in, improves, the children are going to school, the women are empowered, and even the men. Um, there's one of the weavers in Ethiopia. We're working in in Ethiopia in a couple different industries, and, and the men are sort of the in the weaving industry. And and Samuel said, you know, now I can I can feed my children, I can provide for my daughters, you know. So the men are feeling so much better because they can provide for their family. Actually, in in Pakistan, uh, we in in Afghanistan, but especially Pakistan, we were working with some homebound women. So they're very, in a very conservative setting, and they you know they they can only work at home. They're not allowed to go out. And abuse, physical abuse, is is actually uh, almost culturally accepted there. But these women, after they were starting to earn some money because of their of their uh, fabric embroidery and embellishment and finding better markets for them, their their income was increased greatly, and and so there was more money coming into the home, not huge money like we're talking about, but for them it was it was a great increase. Mm-hmm. Then they said. Our husbands aren't 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 abusing us as much, and that was a really surprising um, spin-off and side benefit that we hadn't expected. That suddenly they had gained more respect. Also, we're able to introduce new technology to use with the poor, including I said cell phones. Um, cell phones in many areas are the only access that these people have to a bank. They don't get to a bank. They don't get to the city. The banks don't go out to them, but Cell phones are very um, accessible and they're cheap to to use, and mm-hmm. so we've been working with some of the, in some of the countries to set up um, cell phone banking, working with the banks and also with the cell phone companies, that so these people can actually access loans and savings accounts with their cell phones. Um, we also have have instigated an e-voucher system, which means that. Um, we're helping them to buy um, mosquito nets with a with an electronic voucher um, through their cell phones, and and so this is another thing. Introducing technology to these people has has been amazing. Um, another spinoff, which is really great, is that individuals and villages and communities are talking together and working together. And in some of the countries and some of the projects, they're actually forming informal cooperatives so that they can work together and they can buy supplies together or they can sell their products together and get better prices and get them to a better market. So those are some of the spin-offs. Like they're just they're amazing and and mm-hmm. it's just so mm-hmm. it's so encouraging to talk to them and to hear them say how 
I didn't used to talk to my neighbor, but now we're, we're taking training together, we're learning together, and we're sharing together. And it's just, it, we're so much better than we were on our own. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when one person earns a dollar, they, they have a dollar to spend on something else, so it's, you know, it, it's magnified that way as well. Exactly. So, yeah, that's terrific. So you've just come back um, from the project in Ghana. Um, so I'm sure that one is, you know, really fresh in your mind. What's what's going on there? Okay. So what we're doing in Ghana is in the northwest part of the country. Uh, Ghana is politically stable, and especially from a sort of the middle of the country south, economically, it's it's you know it's really doing quite well. But in the north and the west, there's really a lot of poverty a lot of shortage of food, uh, there's a lot of drought because, um, you know, whether it's climate change or, or whatever, but the, the rains haven't always been as good as they could be. What we are doing there is working with the women farmers, helping them to grow soybeans. And soybeans, there's a great demand in Ghana for soybeans. It isn't a crop that has typically and traditionally been grown by them. They grow a lot of maize and sorghum. Um, and some of those crops, but they haven't grown soybeans. So we did some research on it, and we work with an, uh, you know, with the agricultural industry to make sure that it's a crop that will grow and that there's a market and everything. And they grow really well. The soil's really good, and um, and they're also very nutritious. So we're helping these women. We we help them to set up what we call a lead farmer system, and and so in a village. Um, there'll be a, you know, there could be 50 or 100 women around the area, and they choose the lead women, the lead farmers. So they'll choose maybe four or five farmers, and then we train them, and then they pass that training on to the other women. And mm-hmm. and that is how to actually um, plant the soybeans in, you know, in rows, and and how to keep them the importance of of uh, weed control and fertilizer. And, and keeping, you know, just helping them to look after irrigation if they have access to that. And then helping them to find markets and work together. And also then we give training on how to use them, recipes, and to actually cook the soybeans and use them in their okay. family and in their home. And uh, so the nutrition for the household has increased as well. So um, that's what we're hoping to do. And we're, we've already have 11,000 women registered in the program. And wow. uh, but they're not all planting yet. But hopefully next year it was pretty neat. We go into these villages, and it was quite a drive to get in over very rough, narrow gravel, or not even gravel, just dirt roads to get into a village. Mm-hmm. And then we would be met with the whole village, the men too, and the children, and the chief. And we would, as a one village especially, we sat under a great big huge baobab tree, and we sat there and. And, and it was just amazing. The women were so joyful and so happy and and thanked us for helping them. And they said other times, the chief said, actually, we've had other charities come and try to help us, but they have actually betrayed us because they leave and, and nothing has been changed. And so they can see that with me to come in and working with the women and helping to grow soybeans, it's going to make a difference. I asked them, I said, um, um, through the interpreter, I said, did the women have any access to income before? 
And the chief answered and said, yes, they they would make uh, charcoal. And you sometimes would see these these um, little hills, these little um, covered with ground and smoke coming out, and that's making charcoal. They would make charcoal, or they would collect firewood and sell that. But he said both of them is very little that they make. Plus, mm-hmm. which I, this I thought was very insightful. He said if they continue to do that, they're going to destroy all our trees and then the rains won't come. So he said, Mita has helped us and helped the chiefs to take the burden off the chiefs as well. So, yeah, that was it was really good. It was pretty exciting to actually hear from these women um, the difference it's making in their lives. And we would ask them, what... Um, what are you going to do if you if you have when you sell your soybeans and you have income now? What are you going to do without fail every time it was our our children can go to school? And oh. um, there was one young girl who was uh, Fidelia was her name and she was about eighteen and she was very um, uh, she was very um, how should I say empowered and and she would and she stood up and and she told us that she had to stop school because her brothers had to go and so she had they they took her out because her brothers got to go right. to school but she right. wants to be a nurse so she has mm. an acre of soybeans she's growing and she's going to use that money to finish her education and be a nurse so that was pretty exciting that is very exciting um and and certainly education is is also a piece of um you know stepping out of out of poverty and 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 solving Absolutely. some of the um you know so, solving a lot of the problems in the world um education is a really strong piece of that so it's time to go to our commercial break um and we're going to hear more about this right after this message is there a contribution that you dream of making In society, planned giving seems to be presented as something you do once you're incredibly wealthy or planning your estate. Step Right with Lynn focuses on good money management and planning your contribution at every step based on the issues important to you. Learn how to expand the goodness around you and take responsibility for the issues important to you. Tune in for Step Right with Lynn every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Central Time, 7 a.m. Mountain Time, and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on AtoZen.fm. This is Step Right with Lynn. Lynn Wedham is a certified financial planner. To participate in the program today, please call toll-free in the U.S. 815-880-8255. That's 815-880-TALK. Or in Canada, 613-800-8736. Or you can Skype us at atizen.fm. You can also make the choices to ask or comment by email by sending to lynn at stepright.ca. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Step Right with Lynn. My guest today is Marion Good from the Mennonite Economic Development Associates. Marion, was there uh, anything else you wanted to share with us about the project in Ghana? Um, sure. I think for us it was really um, exciting to see um, a couple of the options for for markets for these women and their uh, and their soybeans. And the one was we were at uh, the official opening of a soya milk producer, 
Um, the people there in, in Ghana, in, in the area we were especially, they, they typically don't drink milk. They don't drink animal milk. Oh. And so to have the option of very nourishing soya milk was is really exciting. And there was some of the, at the opening, there were some heads of schools locally were there. They want to get it into their school program. And, and it was delicious. Like different ones said, we haven't tasted soy milk that tasted this good back back home in Canada. So that was very exciting. And then we also went to visit uh, an oil producer in Kamasi. And uh, Chris, uh, Christian was his name. And he, uh, Christian Bello, and he was actually, um, he's very excited about the program that it is doing. And he's been up and visited some of these villages, which is a six-hour drive and in, in more to get into the villages. And he's visited these women. He's also helped to bring a, a, a few of them down to see his plant. He's an oil producer. He will take all the soybeans that, that they can produce. So we asked the question, well, okay, you've got the one that's doing the soy milk and we've got one that has that's that's doing the oil processing, like isn't aren't they in competition? And well yes, that's the whole thing. That's what a market's all about. And it and it gives women, the women farmers, it gives them an option where they want to sell their soybeans. And so price is going to come into it and timing. And so all these things, there's just, that was really exciting for us to see that whole, that whole um, cycle and the whole circle that, yes, they're going to have options when they come to sell their beans. And mm-hmm. so, um, so those things were really exciting. And I guess, um, yeah, I mean, they sent us away. The one village sent the chief, gave us a goat and three big tubs of yams because they do not, send their guests away hungry so so that was also kind of fun and 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 exciting so one of the partners that we work with we actually work with local partners um who who are already there they're they're not for profit organizations that are trying to make a difference but they're smaller and for us to come and and work with them they have the relationship with the people they're they're Ghanaian they know the they know the culture and and they will be there after our contract is ended in in six years, and they can continue on. And so we we gave the goat to them and the yams to them, so that they can. Sure. <laughs> but it was um, it it told us that it was very meaningful to the village and to the chief that we came and met with them, and and were interested in in making a difference for them. So that, well, was, and that it, was really it, cool. It indicates a really good relationship. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's ter- that's terrific. So, can you give us an example of another favorite project? I'm sure they're that it sounds like they're all quite unique. Well, they are, and I, I, I you know, it's like okay, my favorite projects. I, I I've been to visit. I've been to visit uh, a number. I've was I've visited our projects in Nicaragua. I've visited our projects in Ukraine, in Tanzania. Um, in Pakistan and Ghana, so you know they're all favorites to me. But um, I think one that that it's it's finished. But I just want to tell you a little bit about it. We did have a very successful project through the Garden Gate in Afghanistan, and this again was working with the homebound women there, and we helped them within their walled compounds to grow vegetables in in an intensive way, so that they had more than what their family needed. And then we helped to find markets for them and help them do packaging in in a very um, uh, official way uh, that they could package their their produce. And and the exciting part is, well, a couple things. One is that the women said, um, we this is the first time in all these years. I mean, this is a country that was very uh, war torn for for what thirty or forty years. This is the first time mm-hmm. we've had hope. 
we've found out since, it's been about a year and a half or two years since the project came to an end, and we have found out since that these women are continuing to um, to gain confidence. They have, um, one or two of the women have actually been um, put on to the the, uh, the council, the town council, so they, it's the first time a woman has wow. been uh, put in those positions. They actually are exporting their produce. And so this is very exciting for us because this is what we want. We want it to continue and to be sustainable and to continue to make a difference. So that one, I didn't visit it, but it's always been one that's been very exciting to me. And and one Mm. thing the men said is that this project has brought stabilization to our community. So you know what, that's that's the reward. That's so rewarding. Um, That's very exciting. Last year I visited our project in in Pakistan and and it was just it was just amazing. I'm going to tell you a little story about Husna. She was from um and I met her and just a very I thought she was a very beautiful woman. Uh she's from a very rural area far from the city of Karachi and from extreme poverty. And in 2010, uh she and her husband lost everything except themselves and their eight children. They were able to flee their home. But they came back, and, and they had nothing. But Husna became a part of Mita's entrepreneur project in the area, which was funded, like I said, by US, uh, USAID. And, and now she is collecting the, the embellished fabrics, which is the very intricate embroidery. I can hardly explain how intricate it is, and they don't even use a pattern. And the handiwork, so there's quilting, there's there's um, different types of embroidery that they do by hand. She's mm-hmm. collecting the work of 300 women, and then wow. she takes it, brings it into Karachi and to the markets in the city. And, and when she was telling us, she brought some of her embroidery in and, and, and showed us and, and of the women, and her face just lit up. And she said, mm-hmm. I am so happy now. I give thanks. Now we give. Now we get paid. Before we would do mm-hmm. this work, and people would come and want it, but they wouldn't always pay us. And she said, wow. "Now we get paid, and I can get my children educated." She was just an incredibly sweet woman, quiet, but you could tell there was that inner strength. Mm-hmm. Or we also visited um, some that are doing um, the women over there. Our projects don't just work with women, but you can tell that that's the ones that I'm going to bias towards because I know that if you if you help the women, you're helping the whole family. And mm-hmm. and because the women will put their money back into the home and into the children, and it's helping the yep. whole family. But uh, also we're, we were working with women that the women are responsible for the family cow or water buffalo. Often it's a water buffalo. Or they might have two or three or five. And uh, they would their extra milk they would sell. And typically there would be uh, a man come around on a motor motorbike and, and with tins and pails and stuff and collect the milk and he's liable to go around the corner and dilute it with some water which isn't necessarily pure and clean and so these women were being paid very little because they get paid by the the cell count you know that has to be clean also by the butter fat so we mm-hmm. have worked with these women and trained them on on uh, feed and nourishment for their animals and animal care and health and and helping them to find ways to increase the production of milk so that um, mm. they have more to sell. We've also trained other women to be the village milk collector. So they are trained how to test it and to keep it clean. And and then we've worked with the dairy to get chillers out into the area. And all of a sudden there's good, clean milk being shipped to the dairy 
and these women are getting much more money for it. So that was really exciting to me to see um, to see that to see the the difference, just little differences that you can mm-hmm. do to to bridge the gap that's missing to get their product to market. And um, and so that was that was really exciting. So so that's another exciting one. Or in the Ukraine, I mean, we we Ukraine has been in the news. We were there for five years working with farmers there. Uh, a lot of men, some women too, who used to work on the collective farms under the communist rule. But when that broke down, um, they really had lost the art of farming from beginning to end. And so we're over there helping them to learn how to farm and to use uh, the little bit of land that they have around their buildings to put up a greenhouse and do greenhouse farming or to rent some land and and just being able to see them work together and um, and and see their incomes change that that's been really rewarding and like I said the Canadian government is funding a second phase even though all the unrest is there um, we're having to move uh, farther west than what we had planned in the country but we're still um, over there getting started again on our next phase so those are some of my favorites I guess yeah that's yeah it's it's wonderful now um, political stability is something that that's coming to mind here you know i'd ask you uh, you know about traveling in pakistan um do you feel safe when you're traveling in pakistan um and just you know political stability like you're talking about the ukraine i assume there's you know some research that goes into that before you know before you ever move into that but have you ever had problems once a project was underway well, well, yes, we have, and and you ask about traveling in Pakistan, and uh, one thing Meta has is a very um, diligent and um, very diligent and, and and thorough security department, and we do have um, someone in security monitoring the situations daily. And when we were in Pakistan, they were in, in the staff there. There's days they couldn't go to certain cities. There's one we were planning to go to a certain city, and we couldn't because of the situation. Um, so you have to plan, okay. change your plans. We typically, our staff stay, or, or the people that are there, and their local staff too, because that's one thing we do is hire local staff and local partners. We don't take a whole bunch of North Americans in to staff the project. There might be... Right. Maybe the country manager is is um, North American, maybe not, but um, but whoever this is on staff there, they have to stay under the radar. We don't go, you know, making a lot of um, getting a lot of attention to ourselves and to try and avoid to avoid that. Um, mm-hmm. Also, um, in the Ukraine, we had uh, we had helped to start um, a company called Agro Capital Management (ACM). And it was a leasing company, at least to buy, and it helped the clients that we were working there to get, you know, maybe to get a rotor tiller or to get seed and fertilizer and 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 some equipment put up uh, to put up a greenhouse. And we were working with them, and we had uh, half of our project was in the Crimea, and so now because that's been taken over by Russia, you know, we can't continue there. So so that was one that that changed after we were there. Um, we're also working in Libya and uh, Yemen. Um, I know in Tripoli, uh, the office was in Libya, the, the project office, and, and there, I mean, in, it was in Tripoli, and so they had to shut down for a little while when the unrest was too too great. We also had a project in Egypt. 
um, working with youth, and I think we had to close that down early because uh, the Arab Spring started over that time. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, so we, we sometimes have to make those adjustments, and it's it's tough. It's tough for us. It's tough for the country staff. But, uh, we, you know, p- people's safety is, is paramount. And um, mm-hmm. like you say, we don't go into a country that, you know, that's in obvious conflict. Um, you know, we, we take risks uh, because we know the people there. There's people there that need help. And so but it would be a calculated risk to go into a country. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we're, we're pretty careful about that. Yes, and so, there's... Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, a lot of these places where the unrest occurs are places that need the help so much. Um, you know, as you said, the, the support financially, um, you know, brings you to education, maybe brings in the technology so they know more about the world. And, um, uh-huh. and I think those, those things are all very important in bringing about change as well. Um, it's time I for us to go for a break. Okay, that? is it time to go for a break? Is it time to go? For We're going to go for a break, and we'll start there right after the break. Okay, sounds good. Is there a contribution that you dream of making? In society, planned giving seems to be presented as something you do once you're incredibly wealthy or planning your estate. Step Right with Lynn focuses on good money management and planning your contribution at every step based on the issues important to you. Learn how to expand the goodness around you and take responsibility for the issues important to you. Tune in for Step Right with Lynn every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Central Time, 7 a.m. Mountain Time, and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on AtoZen.fm. Step Right with Lynn. Lynn Wedham is a certified financial planner. To participate in the program today, please call toll-free in the U.S. 815-880-8255. That's 815-880-TALK. Or in Canada, 613-800-8736. Or you can Skype us at atizen.fm. You can also make the choices to ask or comment by email by sending to lynn at stepright.ca. Now, back to the program. I'm on Step Right with Lynn, and I'm speaking today with Marion Good on the topic of business solutions to poverty. Um, what was the thought you were going to share just before the break, Marion? Well, I just saw there was a question that came in, and it was when we were talking about the countries that we're working in, and then there's some political unrest. And I mentioned that there's times that we've had to, to close an office for a time. And then the question that came is, do they go back or leave any way for the people to continue independently? Um, absolutely. I mean, we'll open the offices as soon as we feel that it's safe to do so. Um, and as I said, we, we do hire local staff, so as much as possible, they can continue on. Um, when, it's tr- when we've done training, um, training lasts. Training doesn't end when, when, we, you know, when we've had to shut an office door. So as much as possible. We will continue the the project, and so in Tripoli, um, in Libya, we're still continuing that. It's training, doing a lot of training, um, business training there, and so um, yeah, we will continue. And even when you um, do have to leave early, um, I think you've implanted 
in people's minds that there is hope, mm-hmm. you know, and that Absolutely. you know that there may be a different way of of doing things to to improve their situation. Yeah. Um. So, um. What are other important things that people should? What are the key things that that people should be aware of uh, about Mita? Um, well, I think that we 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 have four four words that we that really help to guide us that a project has to be, and that is sustain. It has to be sustainable. It has mm-hmm. to be measurable. We have to be able to know we're making a difference. And what is that difference in their income, especially, or in their health or, or opportunity? So it has to be measurable. It has to be replicable. So if we do it in an area that, um, like a pilot or something, we have to be able to repeat it somewhere else. So, in fact, we had a, an e-voucher mosquito net program for many years in Tanzania where millions and millions of people were able to buy um, a mosquito net for a very small amount. Now, we're doing the same thing in Ghana. So we want to be able to replicate a project and not start over from the beginning to, to invent the wheel. So sustainable, measurable, replicable, and scalable. So if we're doing it, I guess that's where the pilot project comes in. If we do it in this area, we want to scale it up for a whole region and a whole country as much as wow. possible. So those are the things wow. that guide us. We do not do any handouts, um, and so there's, we're not a relief organization. There's a, a time and a place for that, very important, especially in times of disaster. We're not relief. We come in and we try to find ways to help the people help themselves, and, and it will be sustainable. They'll pass it on to their children, and it will, be, it will grow. So those are the things that are really important for us. Um, it also is the fact that all donations – are are multiplied many times over. For instance, last year, um, we we raised for you know part of my role and and a job we raised from our supporters six million dollars in private contributions, and that mm-hmm. then was multiplied to a budget of forty two million. Um, wow. So that's with the you know the, the the governments and the institutional donors and the foundations that that helped to make our contracts and projects possible. So, so you know, we worked in 62 countries, and we had 248 partners last year, and we actually made a difference in the lives of 46, over 46 million families. So that's a, it, it that's really multiplies. It's a, a huge, huge impact. impact. Yes. So how can people now? Some of that you? was. Yeah. Go ahead. Yes, go ahead. No, go, you go ahead. How can people? Oh, I was just going to ask you how people um, how people can help you if they're interested in the work of media, and uh, tell us how that uh, they can reach you. Sure. Well, we have a, a very comprehensive website at www.media.org, and also so on the website there's you know descriptions of many of our projects and and many of our. Um, and types of work, we do more than egg, and I know I focus a lot on egg because those are many of the ones that I visited, but we have many other types of projects. And and um, so also we have uh, on there a Christmas catalog, which is uh, which is one that gives lots of, of information as well. 
um, about our projects. We have um, mm-hmm. you can donate online. Uh, we mm-hmm. encourage bequests because our bequests go into a fund that we have called Serona Risk Capital Fund, and we invest that in many of the projects and companies that we've helped to start and microfinance institutions that are working with the poor. And then it gets paid back, and then it gets lent out and paid back and lent out. So it's actually a, an end-of-life gift that keeps working with poor for years and years and years to come, long after an estate is settled. So it's a wonderful place to put some of that money that will help with it, with the taxes and, and, and just making a difference in the world. Um, on the website, there's lots of opportunities to get involved with field experiences and chapters and convention and literature. Also, we're on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Vimeo. Uh, so there's, you know, there's lots of ways to, to connect. That's, that's, that's terrific. Um, sounds like an awesome organization, Marion. Thanks so much for uh, being on Step Right with Lynn and sharing that with us today. Okay. Now, even my own email is mgood at Mita.org, and I'd be happy to answer any questions or have further conversations. Perfect. Thanks so much. At this Thank time, you, Lynn. I'd like to re- You're welcome. At this time, I'd like to remind you to tune in next week when my guest will be Dr. Izelden Aberlash. He is known as the Gaza Doctor. He captured hearts around the world in the aftermath of a horrific tragedy on January 16, 2009, when Israeli shells hit his home in the Gaza Strip, killing three of his daughters and a niece. Instead of seeking revenge or sinking into hatred, he calls for the people of the Middle East to start talking to each other. Dr. Abelash uh, has founded Daughters for Life, a Canadian charity that provides young women in high school and university the opportunity to develop a strong voice and plan a more influential role in improving the quality of life through education. Dr. Abelash will be a guest speaker at the closing gala of the Grand River Film Festival at the Dunfield Theatre on November the 8th, 2014, following the screening of the documentary Sipida, uh, about education in the Middle East as well. Tickets for this event are available at griff.ca, that's G-R-F-F dot C-A. Um, the movie Sipida is um, going to be an incredible uh, film as well. Remember, I welcome your thoughts, comments, questions, suggestions for guests or ideas for the show. Send me an email at lynn at stepright dot C-A. I'd love to chat with you. Remember, I'm here to help. This has been Wedham. The show is Step Right with Lynn. Until next time, take the right steps to support yourself, your family, and your community. Thank you for choosing to listen to Step Right with Lynn. Lynn Wedham will return next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Mountain, and 6 a.m. Pacific on AtoZen.fm. We hope you'll join us. Remember to celebrate your wealth by doing something for yourself, your family, and your community. Until next time.